Hallelujah. Go with me to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, this is kind of an exciting message to me. I, I had something prepared in the direction I wanted to go, and then today I was working on actually a uh, lesson uh, for our kids um, because uh, Pastor Caleb and Crystal Clay, they're our uh, children's pastors, and they do a phenomenal job uh, uh, presenting the Word of God to your children. And um, I have the wonderful job of fine-tuning uh, content uh, and grammatical stuff and those kind of things before you guys get the lessons that you see, uh, those of you that serve in children. And so I was working on a lesson for them today that they're actually going to be doing in a few weeks. And um, I was like, man, this is some good stuff. And so I kept kind of staying in that vein and just kept pulling stuff and getting stuff. And so I was like, all right, God, if, if that's what you want me to do, teach a kid's lesson. Um, so I've got some puppets coming out and some skits. I'm just kidding. We don't have all that stuff. Uh, but I do have the word. And so we want to look at the word. First John chapter four. Um, if I had to put a message on it, or I'm sorry, if I had to put a title on this message, um, I would call it a better response, a better response. And, uh, here in first John chapter four, uh, this is written by the Apostle John, and so he actually goes into some details, starting here with verse 7, talking about the love of God. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. That's, that, means, that word of means source. That's where it came from. Love came from God. And we're not talking about the world's definition of love here. We're talking about real love. We're talking about the God kind of love. Okay? And uh, so he says, love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God. That means you come from the same source. You come from the same identity. Uh, born of God and knows God. He who does not love uh, does not know God, for God is love. Um, I don't know what the actual English term is for it, but uh, and there might not be an English term. I may, may have just made that up, but... Uh, there's a term for, you know, if the Bible says something, then many times you can automatically assume that the opposite is true. And so he clears that up. He says, if you know love, then you are born of God and you know God. We can automatically assume that if you don't know love, then you don't know God. But like I said, he goes right into that. He says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So not just that God uh, you know, shows love or produces love um, or has love within him, but that God is love. So you cannot separate the two. God is love, therefore love is God. Um, so let's keep going here. For God is love. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. That sounds a lot uh, like another verse that John wrote, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So you see some parallels. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, 
and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He repeats, he reiterates, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Look at this in verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this. Watch this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. That's probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible that most believers don't grasp. But you've got to see the correlation here because as he is, that's a capital H, meaning Jesus, as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So I want to look at verse 18 in the New Living. I think we've got it up there in, in, the, in the New Living. Verse 18 says, such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear, casts out. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love, his perfect love, a better response. I want you to uh, keep your finger there or, you know, something, piece of paper or chewing gum. Don't use chewing gum because you will never get those pages apart. But mark that position for me in 1 John chapter 4, and I want you to go over to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, because what John is doing is he's giving us an answer to something. We've got a problem, and he's bringing a solution. Anybody like solutions? I love solutions. I love answers. I, I, I like figuring things out. I like uh, when clarity is brought, and I like when uh, a problem that I've been having uh, can be solved. And he's solving a problem that began all the way at the beginning of the book in Genesis chapter 3. And verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning or tricky than any, any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the, free, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Made themselves coverings. Made themselves coverings. Verse 8. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. Isn't that interesting? They covered themselves. And now they've hidden themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Interesting question. He calls to him and he says, where are you? And look at Adam's response. We're talking about a better response. Amen. But Adam's response in verse 10 is, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was, everybody say it, afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was afraid and I hid myself. Adam's first response, and really we can just sum it up because all of mankind is in Adam. The first response that sin brings is fear. Fear so much that you want to hide yourself from the very one that loves you the most. Fear so bad that you'll hide yourself from your creator, your king. Uh, the one that you used to walk in the cool of the day with, the one that you communed with and had uh, the, 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 the closest relationship. Before uh, we read of this account in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we know the Garden of Eden, it's a perfect scenario. Perfect doesn't mean that there's no wrong. Perfect doesn't mean that there's no opportunity for sin. But at this point, man has not sinned. Adam has not sinned. Eve has not sinned. So the relationship is not strained. But the first thing that shows up as a result of man's sin and sin entering man is fear. Is fear. And so John over in 1 John chapter 4, he's telling us that perfect love casts out fear. Cast out fear. What, what told Adam and Eve that they needed to cover themselves? What told Adam and Eve that they needed to hide from the one that you cannot hide from? That, that you, you ultimately lose that game of hide and go seek. You, 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 it's not even worth playing. Over. He knows where they are. He's asking, where are you, to give you an opportunity for a response. And so... God here is in search of getting back with man what he had. Instantly, he's, he's in place, he's in a position wanting to restore and redeem what he had with mankind. God didn't want to be separated from man. You've heard us say it before, that the very thing that God hated now lived inside of the very thing that God loved. The thing that God hated the most is now dwelling inside of the thing that God loves the most. God didn't want to be separated from man, but he has to be separated from sin. So therefore, he had to find a way to separate sin from man. He needed something that could cast out fear. The enemy wants you to operate in fear because what you're afraid of, you'll never join to. What you fear, you'll never connect to. 
And as long as man was afraid, afraid of what? Afraid of God. Look at this in, in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, again, in the New Living. We just saw it just a second ago. But he says, such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. Now look, if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. He's getting specific here. He's saying the reason why you're afraid of God and you don't operate in the love of God and you don't know the love of God and the love of God's not abiding in you and you're not abiding in the love and you don't know the love and, and, and you're separated from God. The reason why is because you're afraid of the punishment. Fear always results in insecurity. What we have here is a strained relationship because there is a strain on how do you see me. I mean, think about it when you were a child and you knew you were in trouble. The thing that probably hurt the most was the fact that your parents saw somebody that messed up. And you were afraid of the punishment, right? Afraid of what was about to take place. You know, we just started Camden this year in kindergarten. It's our first journey down, you know, real school. He's done preschool, but, you know, nothing that counted. None of that stuff counted. Didn't count for us. It didn't count for him. Now we're dropping him off at real school. He's got to stay, you know, for a length of time. And, uh, uh, you know, he has done phenomenal. He has uh, really given me a complex because he seems to be enjoying school a lot more than he's enjoyed our house. And um, so, you know, I, I don't know what that is. But he's loving it. But the second day of school, he started on a, a, I think it was a Wednesday, Thursday. Mm, Not good. They have this little thing, some of you parents might be familiar with it, uh, where you put your clip on a color. And they start out on green. And you can go up to blue and to purple. And purple is regal. That's top notch right there. You can't get any higher than purple. But you start out on green and you can go down to yellow. And then you can go from yellow to orange, and then you can go from orange to red. And he ended up on green on this Thursday, this godforsaken Thursday. <laughs> ended up on green, but he had a moment where he went to yellow. Da 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 da. And and the thing is, is we would have never known that. They don't tell you, they don't show you the track record. They don't show you the path that he takes to end up on the color that he ends up on. They just tell you he ended up on green today. So for all we know, he just stayed on green. But his little mouth and uh, uh, his uh, guilt trip on the inside said, I got put on yellow, and then the tears just flowed. Roughest day of his life so far. Kindergarten probs. It's, the, it's real. The struggle is real. It went to yellow. And he was on yellow for however long. And then he told us I was talking in the hallway. I wasn't supposed Second day, just figuring out the rules. Because you can talk in my hallway. I don't have that rule. See, I'm cooler than school. You can talk in my hallway. 
You can be on whatever color. You can be on, we can make up colors. We'll mix them together. You can do whatever. But here, you can't talk in the hallway. And he talked in the hallway on the way to lunch and just crying. Because he had what? He had guilt. And there was a separation that showed up. And he went back to his teacher and said, I'm sorry for talking in the hallway and for getting on yellow and, and did the whole thing. My God, if we can just stay there, if we can just have that kind of attitude on the inside, he's going to be okay, right? Amen. But what am I trying to say? I'm trying to show you that there is, when, when we fall, when we miss the mark, when we, when we don't meet expectations, there is a fear of the punishment, John says, to follow. And that's what took place. It's interesting that the immediate response from sin was fear and an insecurity. And this is where the devil wants you. This is where the devil wants the believer. I heard somebody, I heard a pastor make a reference to another pastor. So I don't know the names, so I'm not giving anybody credit. But I heard someone say that a believer without confidence is like a jet sitting on the runway. All, all the fuel you need, but... Not going anywhere, not doing anything. And this message tonight deals with insecurity and deals with confidence before your God. Because what, what, what was worse than man missing the mark in Genesis chap, uh, chapter 3 verse 7 is the insecurity that showed up on the inside of man in verse 10. If the devil can steal your confidence, he'll keep you from your calling. If the devil can steal your confidence, he'll keep you from your calling. This is the thing, guys, is if the devil realizes he can't break you, he'll break your confidence. If he can't get to you, then he'll get to your confidence and your security in him. And what happens now is And what you have to know is the Old Testament, without getting too deep into this, the Old Testament is foreshadowing of everything that takes place in the New Testament. You've got to know this. It's called types and shadows. So, and Hebrews talks about this. Hebrews goes way into, into depth. And this is what the writer of Hebrews was dealing with. He was dealing with the people that was newly converted, newly born again, to where we don't have to kill animals, slit throats, spill this blood everywhere. And we can just come boldly to the throne of grace that we'll see here in a minute. But they're starting to, to be because of persecu- persecutions and because of, of, of this, this guilt trip of messing up and blowing it. They've got to learn to endure is the message of Hebrews. Enduring, enduring, enduring. Because what man had done from Genesis 3 all the way on up is they had made themselves covered. The law was a covering. The law did not solve the problem of sin that took place in Genesis chapter 3. And man was repeatedly trying to cover up what he did and could never erase what he did. Jesus showed up to erase what we did. Erase that sin that took place in the garden. Holy Spirit, help me communicate this tonight. We got to understand that fear causes you to obey out of compulsion. 
fear causes you to obey and to live a life out of a have to rather than a get to. This is what the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees dealt with uh, when Jesus showed up. They didn't know Jesus because they didn't know God and they didn't know the love of God. They knew fear. They served a God that if you didn't do this this way and didn't do this that way and you didn't pray at this time and kill this amount of animals and, and pour out this amount of blood and, and, and go through all the stuff in the Old Testament that showed up as a result of man's sin, if we didn't get all that right, God's angry with us. I don't know who this is for, but I'm, I'm hoping that we can... We, 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 can, we can settle this today. You don't have to be fearful and insecure before your Father in heaven. No matter what you've done, we are believers. We, there needs to be a confidence. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As a result of what took place in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, fear came in. It's not something that we talk a lot, talk about a lot in correlation with sin. But sin results in fear and insecurity that Adam and Eve are in now. It's terrible. The, the, the enemy will attack your confidence because what confidence does is confidence, the lack of confidence, robs potential. Robs the ability within you. The ability within you. In Hebrews chapter 10 and uh, verse 35, we've got to get our confidence back. Amen? Got to get our confidence back. Hebrews chapter 10, again, I was telling you, the writer of Hebrews was encouraging uh, the Hebrews. These are... Jewish people that they were pursuing God and going after, but now there's persecutions, trials, and, 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 and different things coming. I mean, they're watching their brothers and sisters be killed for the name of Christ. So the writer is trying to encourage them to endure and to continue in what they started in. Verse 35, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. One of the greatest assets that you have as a believer is confidence in who you are in Christ. It's not taught a lot. It's not, a taught, it's not taught a lot in churches these days. But your assurance and your confidence and security... And who you are in Christ. We've got to learn to see ourselves the way God sees us. I remember I was talking with the gentleman, uh, actually right here in this church, several years ago. We've been here for a while, and several years ago, there's a uh, certain gentleman doesn't go to our church, um, attends an, another church in town. And we were having conversation, and he just kept going on this rant that I, I, I've heard a lot of believers in certain denominational backgrounds speak with of just, you know, I just, you know, I'm a sinner. 
just, you know, he was thanking God for church and thanking God for his church, but just kept going on this rant of, you know, I'm just a sinner. You know, I just, you know, I blow it like anybody else. I mess up. You know, we just, you know, every day I need God's forgiveness. Every day I need God's mercy. You know, I'm just, and he just kept making the statement, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. And on the inside, I'm just cringing. Just cringing. Because his view of himself is so far below God's view of him. And so I, I made this statement, and I'll explain it to you just as I explained it to him. I made this statement. I said, I said I'll be honest with you, man. I'm having a hard time continuing to hear you say the words, you're a sinner. I said, you ask Jesus to come into your heart? Oh, yeah. Have you made him Lord of your life? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I just, you know, I, I mess up. You know, sometimes I... I cuss still. Sometimes I, you know, say things to my wife that I wish I could take back. You know, sometimes I have thought, you know, just going on down the list of human nature. And I said, I, see, I, I said, I think part of your problem is you don't see yourself the way your God sees you. Because when I look at my Bible, God doesn't talk about me that way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells me that the old is gone and the new has come. That I no longer base my life upon my outward actions, but I'm allowing what took place on the inside of me to come out on the outside of me. And I said, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a work in progress. It's not an overnight deal. But I, I looked at him and I said, but you, sir, are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, either that's truth or it's not. And if we can throw that one out, we'll just throw them all out. I said righteousness literally means right standing. That means when God looks at me, he sees someone that's never missed it. I said, let me take you a step further. I said, Paul uses the term throughout the epistles and throughout his writings, uses this reference in him and in Christ, talking about the church, talking about believers. I said, that's our identity. We are in Christ. That means that when God looks at me, he doesn't see me anymore. He sees Jesus. (laughs) Well, I got the response I expected. Knowing the background, and uh, some of you may be having some of the same thoughts that he was having. He says, well, man, that, that sounds really arrogant. I said, no. I said, sometimes arrogance, I said, sometimes confidence is perceived as arrogance to those that don't have the revelation that I have. I said, I'm not arrogant. I'm confident. I would be arrogant if I said, you know what? God, God should be privileged to have me in his kingdom. It would have been arrogant if I brushed off ever having sinned, ever needing Jesus, ever needing the cross. If, if I would have written off that, man, I, I don't even need him. Or let me show you the flip side of arrogance. And this, this just about ended our conversation. But it's what I need you to see tonight. Because I feel... This is, this is a word for somebody, if not multiple people in this room. I said, let me show you the other side of pride. 
It's prideful to say you can't do something or can't be something that God's word tells you you can do or can be. That is also pride. It's pride in your heart to say, you know, I'm just I'm just a sorry sinner. I just I, I, I can't I can't be who God's called me to be. I, God, I just and just to constantly be in a mode. Look, I know that I've messed up and I know that I continue to mess up. I would just rather talk about what God's done rather than what I do. I would just rather put emphasis and focus on what the blood has done. I think the price was uh, too high that he paid for me to continue to wallow and live in sin and detriment and decay and, and, and just carry this sense of, uh, and, 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 and honestly, not change the world. Honestly, not make an impact on anybody because I'm so below. It's not arrogance. It's confidence. But confidence a lot of times can be perceived as arrogance. And you don't have the same revelation. I'm here to tell you today, as a result of John 3.16, for God so what? Loved. God's answer for fear is love. I'm here to tell you today that God loves you. God loves you. And that love, if you allow it, will cast out the fear of punishment, the insecurity, and the hiding, and the guilt, and ultimately the insecurity that wants to set in as a result of sin in our life. I'm here to tell you today that love has been perfected. And so now we need to get to know the God, not of fear, not of fear. Look, God doesn't make you do stuff so you can be afraid of him. God gives you order and God gives us rules for our benefit. Because he's looking out for you, because he wants the best for you. And so what happens is, is when we respond out of fear, we're only picturing a God that's responding out of fear. God's response to Adam in the garden wasn't fear. It was love. You go on to read, you'll find out that uh, he ended up making his own covering. See, man tried to create his own covering on, on, his, on his own, by himself. And then God shows up and says, no, 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 that's not going to work. Bushes and fig leaves, that ain't going to cut it. Let me show you how I'm going to cover you. And then he shows us by sending his only begotten son, that whoever would believe on him would have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. That's his covering. See, the law, the law in the Old Testament was a fear tactic. It was a position that said, I got to do this so you won't do this. That's how it ended up. That's man's idea. But then God steps in and says, no, 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 let me show you. Let me show you how I cover stuff. Let me show you how I get rid of stuff. Let me show you how I 
cast out stuff. And I want you to know today that God's love is shed today, not just to cover your sin, but to also cover the repercussions of the sin, such as fear and insecurity. And there are too many Christians today, maybe in this room, that you're in the kingdom. You're a believer. You know you confess Jesus is Lord. You know that you're trying your best. You know that uh, he has covered your sin. He's washed your sin. That grace is now there for your life. But you're still operating out of fear and insecurity when it comes to you and your father. And you're holding on to how you blew it. And you're holding on to where you missed it. And you're holding on to, to what happened. And you're thinking that God is looking at you a certain way. And I'm here to tell you today that his love, his perfect love, casts out all fear. There does not have to be any insecurity. You and your father are now one again. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. So sin has us hiding. Sin has us insecure but in hebrews chapter 4 hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 seeing then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm here to tell you that fear, that fear causes you to hide. But if you'll get a hold of God's love and God's grace, it'll cause you to come running to him. Fear had you running in the opposite direction, but love has you running towards him, boldly coming to him. Where you felt like hiding, now you feel like coming. Where you felt insecure, now you feel secure. And now you feel bold and confident. Confidence is the opposite of insecurity. You show, me with, you show me someone with confidence, and I show you someone that can accomplish something great. It's amazing what confidence many times will override natural ability. And even the appearance of confidence. I've played sports with some people that they weren't really, you know, all that. They weren't super talented on the flag football field, but they could talk a good game that made you wonder, I don't. Maybe you, maybe I should be afraid of you. And they could get into other people's heads and they could beat people that were slow, that were faster than them. And they could beat people that could jump higher and they could beat people that could throw harder because they got in their head. And that's what the enemy is trying to do. He can't break you. You are off limits to him. He does not have access. You are in the kingdom of God. You are a child of God. But if you let him in your head, you will let him in your life. If he can break your confidence, he'll break your calling. Your calling is attached to your confidence. You will only rise to the level that you believe you can rise to. So I'm simply here tonight to let you know, worship team, if you'd come up. I'm here simply here tonight to let you know. We've got to get our confidence back. 
We've got to get our confidence back. There, there might even be some of you in this room, you used to believe that way. You used to believe that you were the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You had no problem confidently going around, pushing the devil around, bashing his teeth in. And now he's pushing you around because you've lost your confidence. And a fear and an insecurity has set in. I don't know who this is for. We're going to sing this song again, Christ is Enough. And I want you to know tonight that Christ is enough. What he did on the cross is enough. He didn't just try to get you out of hell and into heaven. He wants you to bring heaven to earth. But the impact you make in this world will be limited to the confidence you have. impact that we make in this world is limited to our confidence. Have you ever seen somebody, an athlete, who you knew had great talent, but they lost their confidence? They were the star on the field. They could do it all. There was nothing they couldn't. Everybody wanted to be like them, but they lost their confidence. Something broke their confidence. And when you have a lack of confidence, potential is brought. I don't know who this is for. Can I have a couple of gentlemen just let's cut the lights off? Let's just take a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Go ahead and stand up with me. Go ahead and stand up. We're just going to take a moment. I know it's Wednesday night. I know we got places to be. But let's just take a moment to get our confidence back. Let's take a moment to get our confidence back. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Some of you, you know, I've lost my confidence. I've lost my confidence. That's the thing you've been looking for. That's the thing you've been searching for is your confidence. You've messed up. You've blown it. You've you've blown it big. But I'm here to tell you tonight that Christ is enough. What he did on that cross wasn't just a one-time hit. There's no expiration date. It's time for you to get your confidence back. It's time to start declaring to the world and most importantly to the enemy himself. You will not defeat me. You will not take my purpose. You will not rob me of my potential because I'm getting my confidence back. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you tonight that you have raised up a generation. You have raised up a people that know who they are in Christ Jesus, that are confident in who they are in Christ Jesus. There's no turning back. There's no turning back. You've changed us. You've saved us. And we will not bow down to the lies of the enemy. We will not bow down to fear and guilt and insecurity. We will not bow down 
but we will remain steadfast in who you called us to be. As he is, so are we in the world. As he is, as Jesus is, so are we in the world. Father, we strengthen ourselves in this this evening. We strengthen ourselves in this tonight. Father, we give you the glory and the praise for the price that you paid. We didn't deserve it. Your son didn't deserve uh, what was put on him, but the price was paid. He became the propitiation of our sins. And so now we can once again walk in the confidence that man once had. We are your sons. We are your daughters. We are kings. We are princes and princesses. We belong to the kingdom of God. We belong to the family of God. We are children of God. And we declare this promise over our lives in the name, the name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Let's sing that cry.